Well, good morning again. Thanks, John, for the announcements. I'm really excited this morning because I get a chance to do something uh, at the beginning of this year that we do at the beginning of every year here at Access. It's introduce a new teaching theme. So um, over the last few years, we, we've done this uh, in January where we introduce a theme to be able to give cohesion to our teaching and to help us go a little bit deeper. Last year, our theme was uh, in 2019, a year of hope. Um, the year before that was new beginnings. As we moved into this building here, we talked about the start of new things in our lives. Uh, and then 2017, we had a year uh, focusing on love. It was called With Love. And so um, in the message today, I'll be introducing why we do this new theme and, and where we're going to be going with it. So this is the quick outline for today. Um, we'll be starting with Scripture. Um, that's always what we do here at Access. Scripture is our guide. Uh, the, the wisdom literature of the, of the Bible says that it's a lamp to our feet. And the experience that many of us have of being in Scripture is that it gives guidance and counsel and wisdom and, and leadership to us. So that's where we begin. And then we're going to introduce the actual theme. I'll talk about three different aspects of it today. We'll be talking about it all month, so uh, this is not all of it, but we'll be just focusing on one aspect of it. And then finally, we'll be concluding with communion. Now, I'm a little bit under the weather today, so I'm not shaking hands. Uh, I'm not unfriendly. I'm just trying to be considerate. And I'm using this in case my cough comes back. I'm a little medicated, so the, um, the fog is a little there, but uh, it'll, it'll work. <laughs> and let's pray because we need uh, the Spirit's guidance for sure. I need it. Let's pray and ask for God's uh, leadership over us. God, thank you for this new year, this new decade, and this time that we have together as a church. And I've been looking forward to this Sunday for a while, just a chance for us to go through Scripture and to think about our new theme and think about the things that you're going to be doing in 2020. So we ask for your guidance. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us. We're listening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, We're going to be spending some time in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And if you haven't spent some time in that book in the New Testament, it's a great book. But I want to give some context for how to understand what we're going to be reading. And one of the first things to understand is that it's a good book um, that talks about good thinking and then kind of transitions into good living. And it's tied together. You can't do one without the other. They're both essential. But Paul starts with a lot of high theological concepts that are really important for this young church to understand, and then he moves through that, those concepts in order to get to right living. Uh, we're going to be spending more time in the first part, good thinking, but it is up to us to continue living into this for the rest of the year. So the context that we're looking at is a theological one where we're looking at good thinking to move us into good living. Um, the other word of context that I want to say is that this was the early church. It was a very strange combination of people that were all of a sudden thrust together to live a new life. And they weren't necessarily people who would get along together. It's not like they just brought their friends to church. It was like the Spirit of God just moved and brought a bunch of people together. Some of them didn't speak the same language. Some of them had different cultures. Uh, one of the main differences between the groups of people were some of them were Jewish, 
and some of them were Gentiles. Now, that's probably not a cultural difference that you're as aware of here now and today, but back then, that was a very serious conflict that sometimes would provoke hostility, uh, mistrust. They didn't really necessarily get along with each other. And it wasn't just a personal thing. It wasn't just like, you know, he's an extrovert, he's an introvert, I don't get along with them, or that kind of a thing. That's, that's, uh, we have that today, but this was a historical context, a historical conflict. That meant that, like, their dads were kind of enemies, too. Or their grandparents, like their grand, one grandparent maybe put the other grandparent in jail, one other grandmother put the other grandmother out of business. It was that kind of conflict that went on. And so to enter into these new relationships as a new church took some careful theological work so that they could become this new community. So these are great analogies and stories that we'll unpack for our own context as the year progresses. You can kind of see where this might be going, but I'm just laying this out now. Now, we're going to be reading this, and um, let's listen carefully to what Paul is saying to these early believers. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. There's two things I want us to notice here in the beginning part of this Ephesians passage, uh, things I want to unpack a little bit. The first is this phrase of being in Christ. If you read through Ephesians, and I highly encourage you to do so, um, you'll see all the way up till chapter 2 in this midpoint, there's this phrase of being in Christ or in Him. We have these realities that are now spoken over the Ephesian believers. People are now blessed because they are in Christ. They are chosen. They're loved. They're redeemed. They were once dead, and now they are alive in Christ. They were created for good work. And all of these things he lists out, and these are high theological concepts that you can spend a lifetime living into. There's a a very deep, rich kind of idea flow here. And then he gets to this concept, which is kind of the main thing that we're going to be looking at. He says his purpose, the purpose of Christ doing all of this, was to create in himself one new humanity. One new humanity. 
This is a really interesting phrase and one that is filled with a lot of, of meaning. We're going to be, this is our new theme for 2020, new humanity. And I sort of cobbled together a slide. Hopefully this will be our slide for next year, this coming year, we'll see. Uh, I kind of like it, but I'm working on it. Um, so this is Ephesians 2.15. This is our new theme for 2020. It's the idea that in Christ we have these new things for us. There's this richness, this new kind of life that we live together. We're not simply saved so that we can go to heaven someday. We are saved, and in Christ, there is the birth of a new humanity. Now, many of us are trying these days to build our sense of identity. That's, that's kind of normal human work. We build our humanity, our identity, around things like our race, what we can do, what we can accomplish, our school, our grades, our, um, our titles at work, whatever it might be. A lot of us, this is the constant thing that we're doing, is building our sense of identity, right? But in Christ, this new humanity supersedes that. It's more important than that. And our new humanity in Christ provides us with the foundation for which to build, by which we build, our new identity. And then these things begin to not matter as much. So I tried to find an analogy. Um, kids, I was thinking about you this week. And um, so we, we have this custom in our household. Every year we watch Harry Potter. We go through the whole series. We're big Harry Potter fans, both literature and film. We especially love the films. Um, but if you're unfamiliar with the storyline, so Harry Potter begins with the introduction of this kid, Harry, um, and he lives where? In the covered under the stairs. He's kind of the outcast. He doesn't have his parents. He's an orphan. He's on his own. And his big issue in life as a youngster is his cousin, Dudley who on his 11th birthday only gets 36 birthday presents, which is like one less or two less, whatever, than his previous year. So he's having a fit there in this picture. Um, So this is Harry. He's struggling. This is his life issue. His cousin and his aunt and his uncle, who are sort of borderline abusive, (laughs) neglectful, and all that stuff. Um, And so here we are with Harry, but... As the story progresses, a new reality begins to take place. He begins to wake up to the reality that, actually, he's got some gifts. He's got some powers. And he is actually part of a much bigger story that involves this guy, Voldemort. And perhaps it's him and his friends who have a role to play in taking down someone who is trying to destroy the world. And all of a sudden, the other things in his life don't seem to matter as much because this new reality has superseded, so I kind of agreed that that's my version of, yeah. So I'm trying to get a point across. Grayed out Dudley there because Voldemort is a much bigger enemy than Dudley, right? So, yeah, of course he is. Um This is the theological point I'm trying to make. 
in Christ, we have a new humanity. And this new humanity supersedes all the other parts of our lives. And some of the failure that we live through week to week is that we forget. We reprioritize when Scripture and the Word of God, when the Spirit of God is trying to move you to understand No, there is a bigger and a greater and a real part of you that needs to be awakened. This new humanity. And it cannot, it cannot rest. It cannot be asleep. So, what does it mean to be new humanity in Christ, to be a new humanity in Christ? I'd like to talk about three things. This is basically from verse 13, and we'll be unpacking more of it next week when I feel a little bit better. Um, but this will be the, the introduction, the, the basis for what this humanity is all about in Christ. And the first thing to understand about being new humanity in Christ is that in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near. It's this idea of being brought near, that all of a sudden we have this intimacy, this closeness, this connection with God that we didn't have before. So scripture tells us the, the kind of story of humanity. We were created in the image of God. We were made to be like God. We were meant to have the capacities and the type of potential of, of God people and In that, we were designed for love, to love God, to love our neighbors, to love the world around us, to care for this earth. But early in our story, we rebelled against God, and two new realities took place. Sin, which is a rebellion against God, and also a force that continues to move us toward the wrong thing, and death, sin and death. And these two things continue to play out in our human history. But in Christ, in Jesus, this is the message of the gospel, we have been invited to new life. We have been brought near. This proximity, this nearness, this intimacy with God has has been reawakened. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. There's a story that I was thinking about this week. Uh, it comes from this uh, author and speaker named Lee Strobel, who writes about the case for Christ. But um, he gives a story about um, GIs that were active during the Korean War. There's a story of one in particular, a soldier who had an affair with a Korean woman, and they had a, a daughter. And when the war ended, he flew back to America, leaving her stranded with a new child um, who was half Korean and half whatever race he was. Um, And that caused a tremendous amount of shame. This little girl grew up being ridiculed for her looks, for who she was, for not having a parent. Um, And over and over, this kind of persecution and this negativity began to really deform her humanity. This is a quote um, about what she experienced. And when you hear what you are, when you are a little child, day after day after day, you begin to believe that about yourself. I believe that anybody could do whatever they wanted to me physically because I wasn't a person. 
I was inhuman. I was dirty. I was unclean. I had no name. I had no family. I had no future. I hated myself. Um, pretty grim story, but it gets a little bit more severe. At some point, her mom decided to walk away from the relationship with her daughter for whatever reason, because the perseverance, the persecution was so severe and because of the ridicule, she abandoned her child and she was an orphan left on the street. So at age seven, she was left to fend for herself. She ate the roots of plants. She ate garbage. And for two years, she wandered around the streets in Korea with her fellow orphans just trying to exist. Now, at some point, she found her way to an orphanage uh, along with the other kids, and they made a home there. Finally, she found a place where she was safe, where she could be cared for, where she had some food. Um, but she was already past the age that most adoptions would take place. Um, so she spent much of her time caring for the other orphans in the orphanage. One day, there was a story that an American couple was going to come and adopt uh, a new child from the orphanage. So she spent her, her time kind of cleaning up some of the kids, some of the babies in the orphanage, because at least one of them would get a new start, a new chance to begin a new life somewhere else, away from all the tragedy that she experienced. Um, and she writes about this. Um, and as this uh, American couple came by and looked at all the children, she, she was noticed. And the father came over to this young girl. Now, this is a lot of text. I was not, I lost my voice yesterday, so I just pasted it on here just in case I wanted to tell the story. But I can read it today. It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew if they could, they would have taken the whole lot home with them. She writes later on that the hand felt so good, like she just wanted to go home. Um, he saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now, let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. It was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me and began rattling away something in English. And I, I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This is the child for me. Friends, this is what Ephesians 2 is all about. It's not relational distance that Paul's talking about, but all of a sudden, we've been brought near to someone who wants us, to a God who loves us, to a God who's given us favor, a God who says, this, this one's for me. I want this one. This is what the gospel message is about. And this is the message that we live with in our new humanity. This is a primary message for us. It defines us. It reshapes us. It is what is meant to define how you live. And 
The unusual thing about this story is that this young girl, because of this warm affection, didn't really know how to respond. She grabbed his hand, pulled it away, spat in the man's face, and ran because she didn't know what to do. She says, I wanted it, but I couldn't even explain my own actions at that time. The couple went away, and she thought she blew her chance. She thought the adoption was over. There was no way anyone would adopt someone who was that hostile. But the next day did come. The couple came back, and yes, indeed, she was adopted, and she got a chance to start a new life with them in America. But the interesting thing is this. When we talk about our relationship with God, it's so much like that. We have been brought near. And some of our struggle is this. How do you live with a God who loves you that much, who desires you? Much of the resistance that we feel is actually from within, from ourselves. Again, we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. A second concept I want to unpack here with this passage in Ephesians 2 is that we are people who have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near, yes, but it happened through a particular mechanism, through a sacrifice, because Jesus died for us. Now, if you're new to church world and you haven't heard of much theological language before, this sounds weird. I know it does, because um, I remember in high school going to church and you know, trying to sing these songs, and I just thought some of these concepts were the weirdest thing. You know, a blood of Christ, it sounds really off-putting. Why would blood um, be something I celebrate, you know, unless I'm a, I don't know, hematologist or something? It's just, <laughs> it's kind of strange that the blood of Christ. So the blood is a shorthand way of talking about the death and sacrifice of Jesus. So in the New Testament, there are th- there are like shorthand language to describe like a rich theological concept because Paul doesn't have time to unpack the whole deal all over again every single time he writes. So he says, the blood of Christ, meaning the death, sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He died on the cross taking our sin and our shame and our guilt. And on the third day, God rose, raised him from the dead And the gospel offer is that anyone who believes in Jesus, this applies to them too. And the terminology, the wording, is that the blood of Christ applies to you. It is like a cleansing agent. Now, in particular, in Ephesians 2, there's there's stuff that I haven't talked through, but the beginning of chapter 2 really talks about moving from death to life. And the blood of Christ is meant to raise this imagery in our heads that the blood of Christ now applies to our lives, that we have been raised from death to life as well. There's this story in C.S. Lewis's literature about a boy named Eustace, who was a boy with anger problems. Not that that should ring a bell with anybody, but he was a boy who, who really had anger issues, and over time, this devolved into him becoming a dragon, because it's fiction. And um, he couldn't, even though he wanted to, become a boy again. He would try and slough off his scales, but they would, you know, it's not enough to change back. Um, In the story, the lion, Aslan, who is also, you know, he's Jesus (laughs) in fiction, uh, comes to this dragon and begins 
a process. And this is in C.S. Lewis's words. Again, I pasted it on here. I know it's a lot of words. You don't have to follow them if it's off-putting. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there I was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I as smooth and soft Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. And after a bit, the the lion took me out and dressed me with his paw in these new clothes. I'm wearing. This is the story of becoming human again. And I thought it was pretty fitting for Ephesians 2, this idea of becoming a new humanity. And what Christ's death does for us, it begins this process by which we become human, the type of human that God had always wanted for us. And it means the, the sloughing off of scales and hard bits and knobbly parts and ugly things that, that we've accumulated in our lives. It's a painful process, but this is moving from death to life. And this is what Christ does for us. One more concept here. We are people who have been brought near by the blood of Christ and who have access to God. And this is verse 18. For through him and... We both have access to the Father by one spirit, and we both as Gentiles and Jews. Um, we all have access. Now, there's some obvious resonance, resonance with this church here. We are called access for a reason. We are named after Romans 5, but this is a great verse too. <laughs> um, in Ephesians 2.18, we talk about having access to God. And this is different than just being brought near. See, being brought near is that we have proximity to God. But having access, that's like having priority. That's like when you're waiting for that flight home, having first class. That means like when you ring the bell, someone's going to answer. With God, it means that you have relationship priority. It means that when we pray, God listens to us not just like he's taking a number in line, like you're waiting for a service call. You're his child. And what he longs to do is listen to you, hear you, be with you, to meet with you. You have a relationship priority. We have access to God. In the Ephesian church, um, one of the first pastors was a, uh, a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor who was maybe a little bit younger than the rest, and so he didn't feel very confident. He wasn't 
sure of himself. He wasn't sure of how he would lead and how people would receive his leadership. And so Paul wrote a couple of letters to him. And in one of his letters, he says, don't worry about being young. Just keep on this call that God has, has placed you in. Move forward. And he writes this. This is about having access to God. This is what it means to have access to God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. There is a new reality that you can live into because Christ has moved you. You are a new humanity in Christ. And Timothy, don't be afraid. You have power. You have love. You have self-discipline. These are gifts given to you by your Father in heaven. So, as we're wrapping up today, I know that some of us may be feeling like this is, you know, a little bit different or a little bit new, and maybe you haven't trusted in Christ before. We're going to be having communion in just a moment. And if you are feeling like maybe today is the day that you'd like to step forward in faith, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and say, yes, I believe I follow after you, Jesus. Receive it in faith. Become part of this new humanity. Be part of what God is doing in this world. And if you've been here for maybe many, many times, let this serve as a reminder as we enter into 2020, this new year, let this remind you of your new humanity in Christ Take the bread, dip it in the cup of the new covenant, and be reminded that you are part of this, not because of what you've earned or because of what you can accomplish, but because Christ and in Christ, we are new humans. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to invite the communion servers to come up. We'll take a moment to receive communion ourselves, and then We'll be uh, taking time to come up uh, to line up, and you can uh, receive the elements on your own. And this, let's read this together before we begin.